you're in Colossians chapter 3, but before we get into Colossians 3, I want to read to you a scripture here from Titus chapter 1. When I was a high school youth pastor, I used to say, the book of Titus is the tightest book in the Bible, all right? But I'm not a youth pastor anymore. I don't say that, okay? I don't I'm serious now, you know, but that's not true. Um, Listen to Titus chapter 1. I want to read this to you, verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes to this disciple of his, Titus, and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, I love this. For this reason, I left you in Crete. So I'm not sure how literal that was. I don't know if Titus woke up one morning and uh, Paul's boat was off the dock. And uh, that's, that's mostly what ministry is, by the way, is you just kind of wake up and you're, you have a microphone in your hand. You're like, I got to say something, <laughs> you know. You kind of get left sometimes. God will graciously to grow you. He'll leave you in situations you didn't plan to be in, right? And that's where Titus ends up. And uh, there's a specific objective that the Lord has for Titus as a church planter in Crete, this island in Greece. And the objective that Paul gives this man is to multiply the opportunities for leadership so that things can be set in order. He says, set in order in the church the things that are lacking. And how does he do that? He does it by appointing elders, Godly men, he goes on to list these qualifications of men in the church that can help bear the load. We see this also in the Old Testament, right, with Moses, where the people come to Moses and they go, Moses, you're doing too much. And when you're hogging it all and you're doing it all, um, people's needs aren't going to be met. And that's certainly true of the church of Jesus Christ, and I want to say that's certainly true of Solus. Um, God's called me to be the lead pastor of Solus Church, but Andrew is not the head of Solus Church. I would go as far to say I'm not the senior pastor of Solus Church. Jesus is the senior pastor of his church, his church. And within that realm, God's called me to serve the church by leading us. But the most important part of that is that I wouldn't do that alone. And, you know, from the very beginning when we stepped out and began to pursue this venture of faith to start this new church here in Boca, God had given us, my wife and I both, this peace and this promise that we were not going to have to go out and do this big marketing ploy to try to get people to come to our church, you know, like, you know, do the bells and whistles, do some backflips, make people love us so that, okay, now, the Lord had made a promise to us that just as he was stirring our heart for his work, he was going to stir the hearts of other people. And along with that came some incredibly godly men to help support and lead and bear up the ministry, much, much of which are, many of you are in this room right now. Um, but there's one guy in particular that, so, that I didn't see coming, but the Lord has surprisingly and faithfully brought by my side since day one. Um, Kyle Chamberlain was a part of even our first prayer meeting that we had last year. There was like four or five of us. We went up on the parking garage, the highest point in Boca Raton. We went up on the parking garage in Meisner Park, um, it was horrible. I started getting nosebleeds up there. It was just, you know. And we went up there, and we overlooked the city, and, and there was a group of four or five of us, and we just began to pray for what God would want to do with a new church here in Boca, uh, for the people that he would bring. Um, but, man, I, I want to say that I am so thankful for the people that God has brought. 
for, for those of you in this room that God has brought around this work. And especially, um, I'm thankful for Kyle. Now, t- about two months ago, we had Kyle and Bimbo up here. And, and there seems to be something going on with our church in Kyle's. I don't know what it is. If people ask me, like, what's your demographic? Who are you reaching? And I say, Kyle's. <laughs> you know, it's in our mission statement, you know, till every Kyle hears, you know. Um, there's two Kyles that God has brought that have stuck closer than a brother to me. Um, and one is Kyle and Bimbo. Another is Kyle Chamberlain, who uh, not only comes each week to serve, to help set up, who's been a part of crafting our language of what, you know, been a part of those vision meetings, but Kyle also helps run all of the different ins and outs of serving here on Sundays. He does our team meetings. He's, he's a servant that loves to lead behind the scenes, but has also been gifted and called with an ability to proclaim God's word. He's a student of the word, and he's a guy that I'm often going to to ask my hard questions, and usually the ones that come to me that I'm like, give me one second, and what I do is I either Google it or go talk to Kyle, but um, uh, he's just been a faithful brother, and uh, this is a great weekend for, uh, I think, for us as a church to uh, take a break from hearing from Andrew, and you know, as we, I've, I've said it for a while, that I want us to be a church that's based on the preaching of the word, not the preacher of the word, and for, for that to be true, Andrew needs to take breaks from preaching. And so uh, a chance for me to step down and hear God's word and for us to uh, hear from Kyle Chamberlain. Would you give a hand for Kyle as he comes up to teach the word today? Thanks, brother. Kind of stole my joke a little bit. I was going to say, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, what's the deal with like this church and Kyle's and only Kyle's can teach, or there's something in the Bible about that, and it's not the case. They just uh, tend to be a little holier than others. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but yeah, it's definitely a pleasure just to be here with you guys. Um, thankful for this opportunity. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, so like Andrew said, we're in Colossians 3. I got you guys are already there. So first, I think we should just give a little bit of context. Um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know what Andrew's been talking about. You know that two weeks ago... Verses 1 and 2, we're talking a lot about um, if you are raised with Christ, you now set your mind on things above, not things on the earth, right? He was talking about uh, being focused on heavenly things rather than those earthly things. So the week following, last week, he started talking about these three ideas of justification, of glorification, and sanctification. He said that our life is hidden with Christ, right? We've been justified, meaning we've been absolved from the penalty of our sins, he said, we have this future glorification to look forward to, where we've, we know that Christ will one day be glorified and we'll be glorified with him. So we have that hope. Uh, but I kind of like what he said was, okay, well, what, what does that mean for tomorrow? Right? I know, I know one day I'll be glorified. I know one day um, I'll be with Christ and we'll be in heaven together and all things will be perfect. But we're not there yet. So what does that look like now? And he said, the next thing is sanctification. Right? Sanctification is the process that's going on right now until the day that we meet Christ. So what is that process? What does it look like? Sanctification is this process of perfecting us is one way to look at that. You know, it's this process that Jesus is preparing us for our transition into a heavenly place, into that perfect place where everything is perfect and sinless and there is no more death, no pain, no, no sorrow, no anything. Um, and we know that it's something that God does. However, he does it through us, right? We have to partner with him in doing it talks about this in Philippians 1.6. Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we know that God starts it, 
and God finishes it, right? That sanctification process is something that he does. But what does that mean for us? Can we just sit back and then say, all right, well, God's going to take care of it. I can live my life however I want. No, we can't do that. We know in uh, Romans 6, which is something I'm going to refer to a little bit, where uh, Paul talks about this to the Roman church. In verse 1, he says, what will I say? Am I going to continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Or a more literal translation to that would be, like, heck no. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? In verse 12, he says, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lust. So he's saying, no, you can't let sin have its way. Even though God is sanctifying you and he's in charge of the process, we still have a duty to perform. We still have, we still are in control of our, of our flesh and in control of our bodies, and we can't let sin have its way. We can't let it, we can't let it take over. So I just want to give that backdrop. We're going to zero in on that idea of sanctification. That's what this next passage is going to talk about, is what does that process look like? Like, what do we do, and how do we, how do we help this process along? So if you would, um, actually, can I ask you all to stand with me as we read? So we're reading Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You guys can be seated. All right. So in reading that, there's really two calls to action that I see. There's two um, action items, as we would call them. So at work, you know, we do these review meetings a lot. We review a lot of documents and stuff. And in the document that we're reviewing, we, we put out, okay, well, here's the action items, right? This is what we have to do after we're done. We leave this meeting. Here's what we have to do. So I think that Paul is calling us to do two things. And there's two main ideas that I'm going to focus on. It's really, he says, to put off. And then he says, to put on. Right? He says, this is what you need to put off. This is what you need to then put on. So that, and the idea of putting off and putting on is, in the Greek, it's literally what they would use for changing clothes, right? They would say, to put on your clothes, to put off your clothes. And so I kind of like that analogy of clothing, right? Um, clothing is something on the outside. It reflects who we are. It's something that people see. And all these things that he's listing are things that people are going to see. So it begs the question of us, you know, what are we wearing? What kind of clothes do we wear? Are we wearing these things that we shouldn't be wearing, and are we wearing things, are we not wearing the things that we should be wearing? So I've titled this message, it's called Changing Into Your Christian Clothes. Um, Andrew and I actually were talking a little about, about uh, what the title of this should be, we we're just kind of throwing this around, and he, he had a good idea, and I didn't go with this, but he said, I think you've heard the expression dress for the occasion, and he said you're talking about sanctification, so it's like dress for the sanctification, but I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to mangle English like that badly, you know, I'm just like, no, I'm not making up words, this is crazy. Um, but no, that's really, that's a good idea, though, it's like we're dressing for our sanctification, right? So the idea is, what 
kind of impression are we giving by the things that we are wearing? Okay, so first, first point is going to be, what do we need to put off? What are the things that we are taking off? And um, I kind of like think of each of these things as a piece of clothing, right? And things that we are taking off or that we are wearing. And I think of it's the same way it's like the armor of God, right? God commands us in Ephesians 6, you need to put on belts of truth, you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness, and um, et cetera. And, and so I think of it that way. It's almost like the, this is like the anti-armor of God, right? You need to take these things off your um, socks of anger and your sunglasses of wrath and all that stuff. So before he gets into this, the first thing he says is to put off all of these. And I'll can stop right there. Put off, what does that mean to put off all these? And we joked about this, but all means all, right, in the Greek. Like, that's just what it means. It's not some of these things. It's not most of these things. It's all of these things. I think sometimes you tend to pick and choose. It's like mixing and matching your clothes a little bit, right? That, you know, you might have something really old with something really new, and we can do that, but sometimes it might look a little weird. You know, I mean, it's, it, you don't want to do that. You don't want to mix and match. So you can't keep some and, and take off some. No, it's, it's all these things. It's like I had that um, until I was probably 20. I feel like I had a, the favorite shirt in my closet from, like, third grade that sat there. Um, I didn't wear it. I just wanted to point that out. That's be weird. But I didn't wear that shirt. It just... You know, I love that shirt ever since I was a kid, so I just kept it in my closet, but we can't do the same thing with these things. Um, what I also thought was interesting was that that word all in the Greek, it's pos, and they do use it in another way to mean something that you do all the time, meaning daily. It's a daily thing. So I feel like he's saying these are things that you're putting off on a daily basis in the same way that at the end of the day you change your clothes, right? Your clothes get dirty, they get sweaty, they get wrinkled you're going to take them off, and the next day you're going to put on new clothes, right? It's a daily thing that you do. So it means that this isn't a one-time deal, that Christ died once for all. You know, he put to death our old self, and only had to do that once. He's not going to die again. talks about that in Hebrews. But this idea of our sanctification is a daily process. It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. It takes time. Um, Jesus talked about it in Luke 9.23. Remember, he talked to the disciples about, if you want to follow me, what do you have to do? You have to pick up your cross daily and follow me, right? So it's saying every day, as you follow me, you're holding this cross. It's that symbol of death. It's like you're dying to self on a daily basis. It's the same principle that Paul's using here. All right, so that's what we mean by put off all of these things. So now I kind of want to go through and, and talk about what are we putting off? What are the things that we are going to put off here? First thing we have, and there's like a list of these things, okay? So we have anger, we have wrath, we have malice, blasphemy, filthy language, lying, and the old man. All right, that doesn't mean your dad. It's just what he, the language he uses. It's your, the old man, the old version of yourself. And um, we're going to go a little bit, just not too in-depth, but little by little what these things mean. So he talks about anger. Um, and anger itself, we know that it's not a sin to be angry. Right? Even God describing himself to Moses said in Exodus 34 that God is slow to anger, which means he does get angry. He's slow to do it, but it's, it's there, right? It happens. Jesus got angry. You know, he went in the temple and he saw what they were doing to his father's house. And he felt this righteous anger. But I think there's a difference between letting anger come to the surface and wearing your anger. That if, if anger is something that you wear as a piece of clothing, people look at you and say, that's an angry person. You know, it's like, I, I like that guy. He's a good guy. But you know what? He gets angry. Um, this word here actually talks about temper more so, where it's, it's like quick temperedness. He's saying, put off that ability to just 
get angry real fast and not react in a, in a graceful and patient way. Right? And I, and I wonder, do I, I mean, sometimes I do that. Like, a lot of people are surprised to know this, but I, I struggle with road rage a little bit. Right? I don't, I have a long drive every day. Right? So don't, don't judge me. But no, I feel convicted when I hear about quick temperedness because, man, somebody cuts me off or they're just doing crazy stuff and I just, it gets me angry, right? Quickly. And I think, man, that was, that was really quick. That was a quick tempered reaction. And so I wonder, do people, do I, do I show that to others? Like, do people look at me and say, oh, it's an angry person. He gets angry quickly. Do people look at us that way? Like, you get angry fast? Um, no, it's something that we have to put off. And then we have the idea of wrath, which is pretty similar to anger. Um, but wrath is more like your judgment um, or punishing someone, right? If you ever heard the expression, like, I don't want to face my boss's wrath or someone's wrath, it's like something, you do something wrong and that person immediately comes down and just drops the hammer on you, right? And you feel their wrath. Um, we have an idea of the Old Testament about, we hear a lot about God's wrath, right? Which is justified because it's punishment for sin. Um, but the idea of wrath is that we are not so justified to show our wrath to other people. So it might be that, you know, it's not that you get angry really fast. People might look at you and say, well, just God forbid you make that person angry because they will come down on you real quick and real hard, you know? And it's like, do we wear that? Do we show that to other people, that wrathfulness? Uh, the next thing he puts up there is malice. He says we should not be wearing malice, and that's a word we don't really use too much today. We hear it in, in like, legal jargon, I guess, where you think of um, malicious intent. You know, there's a difference. That's the difference between... Uh, like manslaughter and murder, whereas manslaughter is something that happens on accident, typically by negligence or, or a mistake, but murder, they say, well, if you had malicious intent, that was the intent to hurt that person, right? So no, you're guilty of murder. Um, and we're thinking, you know, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not want to kill anybody. I don't have an intent to kill someone, so I'm not, like, malicious, but it's really more common than we, we think it is. It's, think of if someone makes you angry, right, or some, something does something to hurt you, Think of a, a friend, could be a coworker, a spouse, um, just somebody does something that, that hurts you, and so you think to yourself, even though that was an accident, I'm going to get them back for that. And we all kind of struggle with that a little bit inside, where we think, I want to hurt that person back, even though they didn't mean to hurt me, right? That's malice. That's like an intent. That's the difference between, you know, them making the mistake, but then you doing it on purpose, is that idea of, of maliciousness. And he's saying, no, we have to put that off from, each, from ourselves. And moving along, it says, next thing is blasphemy, right? When we think blasphemy, we think of like an irreverence towards God. Simply it's something that's religious, and it is, but um, it's much more common than that. It's actually more like slander. It's if you blaspheme against a person, it's you're saying things to injure their reputation and to um, make, to kind of draw their name through the mud. It's really gossiping, right? Like the people that are gossipers or someone that, that are blaspheming. Just put that off from yourself. Uh, filthy language is pretty self-explanatory, I feel like. It's just, it could be cursing, it could be dirty jokes, it could be things that just come out of your mouth, and a lot of us struggle with this. Sometimes I, you know, it's like, I'm like, oh, why did I say that thing? And that was, oh, that was a weird joke, and I probably shouldn't have said that, especially in church. And it's just something that kind of comes out. And really, filthy language, it comes out really easily, doesn't it? Part of that is because of things that we watch, things that we see, and, and it's like, it makes you wonder what are we putting into ourselves that's then coming out, right? From, from the mouth comes the, the spring of the heart, the wellspring of the heart. Um, next thing we have is he says to put off lying. 
do not lie to one another. And, and lying here is not just like telling something falsely, but it's, it's uh, deceit. It's to cheat someone out of something, right? It's like I'm trying to deceive them into believing something else. It's saying we shouldn't do that to each other as, or anyone as believers. Put off lying. And finally, he talks about putting off that old man or that old woman, um, which is the old version of you. Like putting, he's like, finally, wrap this all up. These things are all part of this old man or this old woman, this old person inside of you. And that's something that we're putting off with their deeds. And I'm going to circle around back to that in a little bit. So it's a good list. And I'm just looking at this list all together, some things that, I, that we notice about this. Number one, it's, it seems like all these sins seem to be verbal, right? They're all things that we, we say to each other that come out of our mouth. Typically, anger, you have an angry reaction. It's something that you're going to say. Lying, slander, um, uh, blasphemy, all that stuff. It's, it's things that are going to come out of your mouth. And James talks about this, James 1.26. He talks about our, our tongues needing to be bridled. They need to be controlled or else what? They cause a lot of destruction, right? So he's saying if you can control, really if you can control your mouth and your tongue, you can control all of these things. So these things can be then put off. Um, I like the word they use here. In, so in Greek, the word for mouth they use is, is stoma, which means mouth, but it has another meaning behind that. Stoma also means the edge of a sword, right? And that tells you something, that what comes out of your mouth is just as deadly as a weapon, right? It gives some... Uh, some imagery to uh, that there's a like a spot a verse in revelation talks about when jesus returns on the white horse and it says that swords were coming out of his mouth and as a kid i was always like that's really weird that's opened his mouth and just a sword shoots out of there and um but no it's talking about his words are powerful you know his words are almost deadly in a sense you think about it talks about the word of god is like a two-edged sword right words have a lot of power whoever came up with that idea that sticks and stones don't break bones words don't you know or they do break bones, the words don't hurt you. You know, I don't know that person's ever been bullied or really understands what they're talking about, right? I mean, words do injure, sometimes worse than a physical wound, you know? And this is something that I think is super relevant today because I just think about how much we struggle with bullying especially. You know, how many, how many like school shooters have we heard say that they were bullied and this is why they did this? I mean, there's a lot of other reasons, things that they're struggling with, right? But they talk about being bullied or we hear about kids that, kids that are killing themselves because they get bullied, right? And they say, well, it's because I was bullied at school. Or we have kids that are bullying other kids, and they say, it's because I was bullied in the past. I was bullied by my parents. I was bullied by other friends. Like, it's just words are, are shaping, especially our children's lives. Like, they're so powerful, the effect that they have, that we have to take this really seriously. Um, but we also thought this talked about these sins speak a lot about our relationships, you know, these things, are, these are things that all affect the way that you relate to other people. If you looked at uh, verse 5, Andrew talked about, Pastor Andrew talked about this uh, last week a little bit, but there's all these sins that are listed in verse 5 that have to do with um, fornication, uncleanness, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, right? And these are all things that are really speak of your relationship to God. These are things that get in the way of how you interact with God and, that, and how you um, relate to him. Whereas these sins are more about other people, right? And it fits in a lot with what Jesus preached when he said, they asked him, you know, what, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, really, I can sum up the whole law in, in two things, to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Paul's following that same idea here, whereas in the path, the previous verse, he's talking about loving God. You know, how do we do that? Well, this is about loving others, which is something that's also super important in, in God's eyes, in Jesus' eyes. 
right? Almost we, we kind of look at these sins as a little bit lesser in a sense. We might say, well, I, you know, I'm angry, but it's not as bad as like idolatry. Like it's not something that we're, um, I'm replacing God with that, but it's still just as important, right? Jesus wants every, every area of our lives to be purified, not just um, the big things, not just the major areas. He's looking for everything. He wants everything to, to get thrown out. He wants all of it. Um, I thought about studying the life of uh, King David lately, and I was reading in first, um, sorry, in Second Samuel, uh, chapter twenty. And just to give some context, there's uh, King David was king over Israel, and he had just kind of recovered from a rebellion. His son Absalom had rebelled, tried to start a coup, so he just recovered from that. And um, there's another man that started a rebellion named Sheba, and Sheba actually got a lot of backing from other tribes, and so David said, "Well, I can't let this." Stand. So he sends out his commander, Joab, commander of the army, and he says, all right, I want you to hunt this guy down. We need to, we need to, to snuff this thing out, right? And um, so Joab tracks Sheba down into a city called Abel, and he knows he's there, so he starts a siege. He besieges the city. And as he's going to siege, you know, sieges are really rough on their, on their people, right? People are, are really hurting. They're starving. There's a lot of stuff going on. So finally, a wise woman very wise woman comes out from the city and says, Joab, what are you doing? What, what do we need to do? And he says, listen, if you just give me Sheba, I will leave. He's like, I don't have a problem with your city or your people. I just need Sheba. I need to get him out. All right? If you give him, and so the woman says, all right, we'll take care of it. So she gets together with some people and the elders, and they capture Sheba. They killed him, cut off his head, all right? And they give Joab his head. And Joab says, all right, you're good to go. Thanks, that's all you needed. And he leaves. And they're fine. And there's a good commentator that talks about this. His name's um, John Trapp. I really liked what he said. He's like, really, Jesus is the same way with us, that we are like this city, that we have this something inside, the sin that's in us. And he comes to us and says, listen, I don't hate you. I don't have a problem with you. I, in fact, I love you more than you ever know. But there's a sin in you that I hate. And if you give it to me, then you'll be good. Until then, I'm going to besiege you, Right? I'm going to start this siege against you, and it might be painful. It might take a while before you give it up, but I need it because you don't realize that thing in you is going to kill you. It's going to destroy you completely, and you don't know that, so I need to get it out. Right, so when we think about Jesus asking us to throw these things off and to take them off, um, to not wear these things, it's a matter of, of our life and death. Like, it's a matter of our salvation. It's doing it out of love. Um, so I thought about, okay, what are some reasons that we throw out our old clothes? Right, we think about these things as clothing, right? So we throw that stuff out. What do, why do we do that? We throw out old clothes because, one, they're, they're worn out, right? And two, they no longer fit. Or three, our style might kind of change. All right, so number one, if they're worn out, it's, it's kind of like they have holes in them. They, maybe they have, the seams are coming apart. Um, so you've got to get rid of them. Sin is the same way. It's old. It's broken. It's worn. Like, it's not... It's just not something you want to wear anymore. Like, it looks really bad, right? So you're going you're gonna to get rid of that. Um, our sins are like filthy rags, it says. So it's something that we're going to get rid of. So in our old sins, also say they no longer fit us, right? Now we have grown. We have grown as believers. We've grown as Christians. We, we don't look the same like we, phys- we are changing spiritually. So these old clothes, these things don't fit anymore. And sometimes we might even try to go back and realize we can't. We really can't, can we? Like we can't take some of these old sins and we try to put them back on and they're like, this doesn't fit, it's really uncomfortable, this doesn't work the same way anymore. Like now, if I react with anger, if I 
gossip about someone, like it doesn't, it feels different now. You know, it's not the same anymore and it's because we've grown out of that stuff. It doesn't fit. And then last it says that our lifestyle, our lifestyle might have changed, right? We might changing our style. So, you know, I think about when uh, I was really little, my mom started letting me put on clothes for myself and I thought I was real cool with my uh, purple shirt with frogs tucked into my teal Miami Dolphin shorts and my tube socks and my white sneakers, but I don't, that's not my style anymore, right? Like eventually I grew up and I realized, no, that's not cool, I can't pull that off. If you do that, no judgment, you know, you do you. Um, but the style changes as you grow and you think like, okay, this doesn't fit anymore. Well, our, our whole lifestyle has changed. Everything about us has changed. Um, we're now children of God, so we need new clothes that have the style of a child of God. I kind of think of this like, it says if God himself reaches into his wardrobe and puts out a whole array of clothes for us and said, here, I want you to wear these now. Right? This is from my personal collection, and I want you to put these on. But you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to force us. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't dress us. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to put this on you. That's, no, it's, it's a choice that we make. Right? That's going back to sanctification. It's like not completely, you know, it's God that's doing it and finishing it. However, we still have to make the choice to put these on, to put the clothes on. Right? It's, a, it's a daily battle that we're facing. Um, and some of this stuff, you know, even though we throw out old clothes, sometimes some of us kind of hoard those things a little bit. Right? We all have kind of clothes that are in boxes and drawers, in the back of the closet somewhere, and um, we kind of hang on to it. And we think, well, I'm not going to wear it. Like, no one's going to see me in it, but I still like it. Um, which is fine for clothes. It's not fine for these sins. Right? It's not something that we can keep in the back of our mind. And honestly, I'm going to hold on to that. God says, no, I know it's still there. Right? You still have to get rid of it. Still got to be eradicated. Um, and I'm kind of, I said I was going to circle back to this. So something we're putting off also is this old man. Right? It's this old man who was worn out, and it's like a, an old version of you. And I just think of, again, Romans 6 and, and verse 6. It says that Paul knows that our old man was crucified with him, Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Right, so that old version of you was crucified on that cross. Right, it's been put to death. And we still struggle with his clothes. It's like we, that old man is, is dead, but yet we still have his clothes and we're still wearing those things. Um, it's a big confrontation between the old and the new. Now, why is this hard? Right, it's a question I kind of ask myself. It's like, well, Kyle, these are all good things and that I want to do, but it's hard to put off these old clothes. These are things I've been wearing for a long time. And really, that's the answer, is that, their habits, right? He says, put out the old man with his deeds. You know, your deeds are your practices. Your deeds are your habits. And habits don't break overnight. Right? It takes time to break a habit and to make a new habit. So it takes time to do that stuff. But it doesn't take forever, right? It's not going to take um, so long that, like, God will be patient for so long, but eventually he says, no, we got to break this habit. we got to get this out. And then I had this, uh, this idea that if Jesus died for us to be free of this old man. So what does it say if we continue to wear him? That if we make this choice that I'm going to still wear this stuff and hang on to this stuff, like what does that say about us? Um, I think about in verse 1, it says, if then you were raised with Christ, right? We were resurrected together with Christ. And you look at it in John, when John describes the resurrection, he says they went into the tomb of Jesus. Do you know what they found? His clothes, his burial clothes were still left behind, his grave clothes. He left those in his grave. So if we run, were raised with Christ, we should be leaving the grave clothes behind in the grave, right? 
And we have to ask ourselves, are some of us still wearing those? We walk around wearing grave clothes. Do we look like mummies? You know, wearing the old stuff. He says, no, we got to take it out. The story of Lazarus was pretty similar. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, he then told his friends, take off all the grave clothes. Remove them from him. Set him free. He's bound by those clothes, so set him free. I just think it's a real good analogy for us. And people are looking at our clothes, right? Like it's an image that we give. So if people look at the grave clothes, they see that old man, they see the flesh. If they look and they see us wearing anger, you know, and they see us wearing uh, malice or blasphemy or any of those things, they don't look at the new man, they look at the old. Whereas they see us putting on the new clothes, which we're going to talk about in a second, they see Jesus. They're going to say, wow, that guy used to be angry, right? And he used to do this, but now it's suddenly he's patient. Suddenly he's kind. Something's different about him, right? And those are the clothes you're wearing. That outward appearance that you have is going to point people back to who Jesus is. Okay, so we talked a lot about what we need to put off. Um, so the next thing we're going to do is what we need to put on. Uh, that's the, the very next thing he says, and I'll read this again. In verse 10, he says, And have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you all must also do. But of all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, right? So the first thing he says you're putting on is this, this new man, right? Now you're putting on, so now we're, we talked a lot about this old version of ourselves and these old sins, but it's, now we get to the, like the good part where it's, we're putting on the new version of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation and the old has passed away. New means new. New means never been done before. You're, you're honestly a brand new person. You're not even close to the same that you were. We're putting on new man, but also putting on new clothes, right? We talked to, I mentioned this before, but Jesus, it's like him buying us a set of new clothes, but not making us wear them. It's that choice we have to make to dress ourselves, right? We might put clothes on our babies and our toddlers, um, but we're not, no one dresses us and dresses us in our clothes. We do that ourselves. So now let's talk a little bit about who is this new man? Who's the new man that we are putting on? I mentioned a few things. He said he's been renewed in his knowledge of God. Um, he has this new family. He is elect, he is holy, he's beloved, right? So renewed in knowledge means that his understanding of God, our understanding has been completely changed, that we have a new perspective on who God is. Um, it's been corrected. It's as if we are discovering who God is for the first time. And it talks about in the verse that it's renewed according to the image of him who created him. It's according to the image of God. And we, talk, we know in Genesis, God says he created all people in his image, right? Men and women, male and female, he created them in his image. So we think, okay, well, so what does this mean then? Because if everyone is in God's image, then what does it mean that we're being renewed in knowledge? Because it's not, um, it's not just your physical likeness, right? Everyone's created in God's image in the sense of physicality, in the sense of our consciousness and all that stuff. But now we're being renewed to have the same mind that Christ had. It talks about this in Philippians 2, to have the same mind as Christ, right? So our mental, our knowledge is being renewed according to God's image. He wants us to have the same mind as him, to think the way that he does. And when we think that way, we want to put off the old clothes. We want to put on the new stuff. Um, it also talks about renewal as like restoration, right? Being restored to God's image, not just restored but not just restored what we had to have previously, right? So it's not like 
we sinned in Eden, right, and we fell, and then God says, well, they messed up, so I'm going to bring them back to Eden to make them the same as they were before. No, what I think was really cool about this is that we are completely new, that new means new. New means never done before, right? God's doing a very new thing. Um, I like the way C.S. Lewis talked about this, and this is, I think it was in great, The Great Divorce, and um, this isn't, this is kind of like theory a little bit, right? It's not, don't take this as gospel, this is just his thing. Uh, but he had a good way, and he said that, um, that actually the glory that we receive and that God receives as people who have been redeemed is greater, will be greater than the glory that we would have given God had we never sinned in the first place. It's as if, you know, in the past, it's like, think about if we'd never sinned, if Eden would just continued and we'd always been perfect. I mean, yeah, we would love God because he created us, because he's our father. We love him because he gave us dominion and authority over the earth, right? We love him for all these things, for taking care of us. But think about, we have all of that, but now God has saved us. Now he's salvation, and we love him even more for that. And that's encouraging to me sometimes when I struggle with those old clothes, right? When I'm like, I still do these things. And it's like, well, you know what? You've been redeemed, and that's, that glory is even greater than if you had never done anything wrong. Because now that now you have this new understanding of God, and you're going to give him more glory. He's going to receive more glory for that. So with this new man also comes a new family, right? So if I'm a new man, and you're a new woman, and you're a new man, and all that stuff, we're new people. You know, we're the church. We're this new family together. That's why he talks about um, all of these divisions that don't matter anymore, these old divisions, he says, that no longer matter. He says Jew or Gentile, right? It doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile speaks more, it's like your race, your origin, your nationality, your ethnicity. He's like, in Christ, Christ is everything. So all that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you're divided, circumcised or not. Um, I think modern day, it speaks more like to your works, right? How religious have you been in the past? Like, it doesn't matter. We're all the same. We're all equal in Christ. Barbarian and Scythian, right? And that speaks more to, like, foreigners that maybe don't know the language they would call a barbarian. Um, a Scythian is from Scythia, surprise. So, which is like modern-day Russia, right? It's a very faraway place. People that don't, they don't speak the language, that they're just here. It doesn't matter. It's a division that doesn't matter anymore. And I think about that, um, that's very relevant today, right? We have a lot going on with immigration. There's a lot of, like, this is a very charged society right now talking about this stuff, and it's like, but you know what? In Christ, in the church, it doesn't matter. There are no divisions here. We're all equal. We're all together. Slave or free, doesn't matter, right? Which I think talks a lot about your economic status, your social status. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, you're a citizen, you're a green card holder. It's like, in Christ, all, Christ is, is all and in all. It doesn't really matter. Um, these other things, all these things that he's going to list, right, it doesn't give you um, better salvation. It doesn't get you higher in the ranks of heaven. It doesn't get you special treatment. We all stand equal terms before him, right? And I love that equality. I looked, I looked up some old stories of uh, the early church and found some stuff that in 177 AD, there was a, a slave girl named Blandina who had a master who was nameless, but both of them were persecuted, martyred for the church. However, we remember the slave's name, not her master's name. 202 AD, there's, a, there's a, a slave named Perpetua and her master Felicitas, right? Slave and master that held hands together in the arena and were martyred for their faith. And we remember that, you know, because they were, there was no boundary between them. They were equal together. All right, these social divides don't matter to our new selves. Jesus broke these barriers down. And just to go through the rest of these, he talks about the new man is also the elect, 
right? Which means we are chosen. God chose us. And being chosen by God as a whole, that's a whole other sermon that we could do. I mean, that's just a lot of, there's a whole lot there, so I'm not going to go into that. But I think that gives us a lot of comfort, right? Being chosen by God means I have a destiny, that I'm part of God's plan. As a new person, I'm chosen by God. As a new person, I'm holy, right? I'm also clothed and ultimately in Christ and his righteousness. So God looks at me and sees me as holy. Um, the word holy here actually means saint. That's where they get the word saints from. And beloved, meaning we're dearly loved by God. This new person is dearly, dearly loved. So let's go through some of the things that we're putting on. What is the new man putting on? Um, just like before, the list that we had previously, these are all relational, right? These are things that affect other people and how we interact with them. Um, the new man is all about how he is treating others. And again, uh, it's the way that this sentence is kind of like structured. You said all these before. Well, this implies all these as well. So it's another daily thing is what I'm saying. Um, this is another daily thing that we're putting on. We're putting these on every day as clothes. Um, he said, first, we have tender mercy, which is tender being, originally, actually, this word, this expression was your bowels of mercy, as in, like, your bowels, um, which is weird. I'm glad we didn't make it that way. But in those days, like, they thought of the bowels were the center of your compassion, um, the center of all of your, your innermost desires. Um, so that means mercy from the very depths of yourself. And he uses the word tender now, which means sensitive, right? Mercy is being sensitive to someone else's need when they need some mercy, right? So it's like in contrary to reacting angrily, we say, this guy needs some mercy right now. He doesn't need my wrath and my, my anger, right? Being clothed, he said to put on kindness. Which kindness is goodness, right? Being good to somebody else. Um, it's the same word that when Jesus said his yoke is easy, he used the word kind here. My yoke is kind. It means you're not a burden to someone else. So it's like not only are you not getting angry, angry with someone else, but you're also not someone people get angry with, right? I'm easy to bear with. I'm kind. He also says that we put on humility. And this one is a, a big struggle, I think, for a lot of us because we, we think of humility as like low, it's having a low opinion of oneself, and we think of like low self-esteem. But it's not really that. Humility is more giving preference to someone else above yourself, Right? seeking to put someone else above yourself. And that's very radical to say, for Paul to say, because in that, especially Greek culture, like they're very um, competitive and they were very all about their pride, get ahead, make a name for yourself. That sounds familiar to another culture we all know about. Um, it's radical today to say the same thing, right? To be humble, to put others above yourself. Think of the way Jesus humbled himself, right? To the point of death, even on the cross. How can we make ourselves higher than that, right? Um, it says to put on meekness, which just kind of stems from humility, but it's more like gentleness. Meekness means that even if you have the ability to manipulate someone or control someone, you're not going to do it. You're going to be gentle with them, right? You're going to restrain your power and your strength. It says to put on long-suffering, which is another word really for patience, right? Not to get impatient with someone, to suffer along with them. Um, and then he mentions bearing with another. Um, this kind of goes in with long-suffering, but bearing with each other means, like, holding someone else, holding yourself up. So it's, it's the word of, like, enduring, right? You're enduring someone else and what they're doing. You have to just put up with people, right? That's the kind of the world we live in. Like, not everyone else in this world is me. Even if they were me, I probably would still have trouble putting up with them, for sure. Uh, but it's the idea that you're putting up with other people, that you're bearing with them. And the second to last thing he says to put up 
put on yourself is forgiveness. And honestly, I think this is probably one of the hardest things because of the way that he talks about this. Look at the way he talks about forgiveness. He says, forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. And man, that's tough. Like forgiveness is, you know, obviously you're pardoning someone for something they did to you, but how did Jesus forgive us? I mean, he was murdered. He was innocent, the most innocent of all men. And humanity killed him, right? He forgave us. God forgave us for killing his own son, right? He was the method of forgiveness. Like how crazy is that? And I say it's really hard because it's, for some of us, this is not just like, oh, well, someone offended me and, you know, or somebody cut me off or something like this. For some of us, it's like, might have been really hurt by someone. Or what if someone hurt someone that you love? What if that person's not here? You know what I mean? It's just, I don't, I can't begin to imagine what that would be like. You know, I can't, I can't put myself in that place. All I can say is what this word says, right? Forgive as Christ forgave us. At the very least, it prompts us to be more forgiving, right? It's not, we're not perfect and it's really hard, but at least we are trying. At least we can try to be forgiving. Um, I think of the parable in Matthew 18. Jesus talked about the man that owed a huge debt to the king, right? And he says the, the king, he begged the king for forgiveness and the king forgave him. And um, the man went away and found somebody that owed him a much smaller debt and would not let him go and eventually had him thrown in jail, right? So what the king found out, what did he do? He got really angry and said, what, I forgave you this huge debt and you hold these like pennies against this guy? Like, no, I'm throwing, he threw him in jail and said, you're not coming out until you pay everything, which the amount he owed means he was in jail for life probably died in prison. Um, and I think of it, it's just in the same way with us, we, the things we hold against people are, are like nothing compared to what God had, hold, had held against us or could have held against us if we don't trust in him, right? Think of how much he forgave us for. Or we often say that I can forgive someone, but I'm not going to forget what they did, right? Um, which is, I say that, <laughs> I've said that before to people. And I was convicted when uh, I read this thing from Charles Spurgeon. He says that forgiveness like that is forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It's lame forgiveness. I don't know if that was a pun that he's trying to make, but I thought it was good. Um, it's lame forgiveness. It's not worth much. He says, no, to forgive also means to forget. It's not, not like you wipe your memory, but it means I don't hold that against you. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not keeping score, right? That's to forgive and to forget. The last thing he says to add is to put on love. Right? And he says, love just summarizes everything. He says, if you love, you can do all of these things that the, that the new man should be doing. If you're put on love, you're completely covered. Love is, this, is like the, if all these things are like, you know, your, your shirt and your pants and your socks and all that stuff, love would be like the raincoat. Love is the pea coat. It covers everything. It bonds it all together. Again, Jesus summed up the whole law in two things. He said, love God and love your neighbor. He says, right, love was the summary. And the word here is agape, which a lot of us know. In the Greek means unconditional love, right? It's love that has no condition, that's given no matter what happens. And I also like it says it's the perfect bond. That love is this perfect bond, bond being like glue, right? It holds everything together perfectly. It just holds it all together very beautifully. Um, First Corinthians 13, he talked about trying to do these things without love. It's like if you, you can prophesy, you can give all you have to the poor, you, know, you can have all this crazy faith, but if you don't have love, it's not anything, it's, it's noise, it's worthless, it doesn't achieve anything. Um, he says you need love to put on over everything else. So lastly, we're going to close out. Worship team, if you guys want to come up and um, 
pair, we're going to close out with some of these final thoughts. So we have an expression that talks about clothes that making the man, and here, you know, it's really that clothes are making the new man. Um, I think this calls us to examine ourselves and to say, what is it that we're wearing? Are we still wearing the grave clothes? Do we wear anger? Do we wear wrath? Do we wear all these other things? Do we express this to people? Are we showing them this is what we are? Are we mixing and matching, right? We might like, it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm kind and I'm patient, but I still struggle with blasphemy. I struggle with like lying and, and things like that, which we all do struggle with that, but we, we shouldn't mix and match those things, right? We shouldn't be putting these clothes together. And I think of it in the way that, you know, some of us wear designer clothes, right? If you wear designer clothes, it's, people look at that and they think of the designer, right? And they say, oh, wow, that's, you know, uh, Kanye West's white t-shirt, which is like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. But, uh, but they know, they say that so-and-so's like shirt, and it's like, oh, man, that's a good line. That's a, it looks really good, right? The same way we wear these new clothes, it points to the designer. They say, I know who that man belongs to. I know who that woman belongs to, right? It points back to who God is. Clothes are something that make this sanctification process that much easier, right? As we prepare for heaven. So I just want to challenge with us, with us today. I just want to say, like, what are we wearing? Think about the way that we come off to other people. All right, let's pray together. Father God, just thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time you've given us together to spend reading your word and fellowship with you, Lord. I pray um, these words would just leave something in our heart, God. I pray we go away from this place changed, and I pray that you just help us, Lord. We need you. We need your help. We can't take off these clothes without your help. We can't put on these clothes without your help, Lord. You're a dad. You're a father. We want to represent you, God, in everything that we do. We want to bring glory to your name. We want people to be pointed back to you, but sometimes it's hard. We pray, God, to give us the strength to forgive, to be merciful to be kind and remind us God that even some days when we don't do those things if we show the old self God that at the end of the day we take those things off and the next day is new again your word says that we are not consumed for your compassions are new every morning God and your faithfulness is great I pray we're reminded of that this week and from here on out Lord thank you for everyone that's here today thank you for this place thank you for this body of a soulless church, this family, God. We love you. We pray these things in your name.